0: God, I really feel this morning that just in our worship, we've built a good platform for the word. Sometimes in our worship, it, it does that, it gets our hearts to the right place where we can actually hear from the Lord what He wants to say from His word. And um, I just echo what Richard said, which is open your hearts uh, and get your brains in gear because you're going to need both this morning. Uh, there's a lot I need to get through this morning, so I praise God that He'll help me do that. Um, This is the second part of our Boundary Stone series on the authority of God. And as David, I think, said last week, this is, if you like, the ultimate boundary stone, really. It all starts with God's authority. The reason why there are boundary stones in place is because of God's authority. Um, And what I'd like to do today is to talk about um, some of the things that David started to lay out last week. So David built a foundation on which we're going to build this morning. Some of the concepts and some of the themes that David introduced, I'd like to unpack a little bit for us today, for us to consider those in a bit more depth. Um, And I believe that God's going to give us a a fresh revelation today, which is going to be a blessing to all of us. Um, And what I'd really like to do is just make four main points today. We're going to talk about the creator and his creation. We're going to talk about Lucifer and his lie. And we're also going to talk about the trunk of truth. I'll get on to what that is, the trunk of tree. It's not a, a suitcase trunk, it's another kind of trunk. And lastly we're going to talk about the standard of the saints, the standard of the saints this morning. So we've just got four things to focus on today and we're going to start where we should with the creator and his creation. And really, I hope you can see that picture properly. That's, that's you just there looking up at the whole of the universe out there in front of you. And one of the things that we said last week was that authority starts with God. So if you just turn with me to Romans 13:1, This is a really important scripture for us when it comes to authority. Romans 13, verse 1. <clears throat> Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So, all authority across all the span of the ages ultimately comes from God because God is the source of all authority in the world. Even bad authorities get their authority ultimately from God. Whether they misuse that or not, that's another matter. But ultimately, God is the source of all authority. He's the source of all authority, we said, because God is creator of everything. He's creator of the whole universe. So because he created everything, he's the ultimate authority over everything in the whole of the universe. But he's not just the source for creation, he's the blueprint for creation as well. So in John 1 and 1 to 3 it says this, in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So everything that has ever existed was made with Jesus. It was made through Jesus. He is God's blueprint for the whole of creation. So God is the author of creation, he's the designer of creation, and the blueprint that he used is Jesus. It would be fair to say that Jesus is in the very fabric of the universe. The very DNA of the universe has Jesus running through it. That's amazing, isn't it, when you think about it. Every single star that's been made has been made through Jesus. Somehow, in some way, in the fabric of everything that exists, Jesus is running through it like a stick of rock. Whether it knows it or not, Jesus is in the DNA of everything, including you and me. Paul said this to the Colossians in Colossians 1, verse 16 to 17. You'll know this one. He says, For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And here's the thing I want you to listen to and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the thing that holds you together is actually Jesus. We can't really understand that, can we? But I'm being held together. The molecules, the smallest parts of my body are being held cohesively together by Jesus. Because he's in the fabric of everything in creation. He's God's blueprint for creation. So all things were made by him. They were made through him. And we've just read they were made for him. And ultimately they're held together in him. So he's absolutely integral to the creation that he's made. This is why God is the ultimate authority. Not just that, but he's the sustainer of creation. Just turn with me to the book of Acts. There's a wonderful scripture here which I think really illuminates for us. And the thing I love about this, this is Paul um, talking to the men of Athens. And he's talking before learned men, philosophers, intellectuals, professors of their day. He's not intimidated by it. He just states things the way they really are. And he says this, Acts 17 in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, let's just get that right to start with. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life And breath and everything. So, the very breath of all mankind comes from Him. We are sustained day by day, moment by moment, at the pleasure of our Creator because He chooses to keep us alive. He chose to create us and He's choosing to sustain us as well. If you turn with me to Hebrews 1 and verse 3. This is another wonderful scripture about Jesus. And this is talking about um, Jesus as a reflection, the radiance of God's glory. And in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, it says this, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus said, when you've met the Father, you've met me. When you've met me, you've met the Father. And here it comes, and he upholds the universe By the word of His power, so Jesus upholds the whole of the universe by the word of His power. Now, remember, I I read that years ago and tried to picture what that looks like, because it's difficult, isn't it? He upholds the universe by the word of His power, and and, you know, when I was a kid, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe um, I know that 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 His word—he's talking about His word. His word is everything, and the word is like a sword. So I had this picture of Jesus sort of having a sword of power and kind of upholding the universe. And I guess that's what it is, but I think it's more than that. I think the picture I had in my head was maybe someone like He-Man, you know, from Masters of the Universe, who would sort of have this sword that would hold all the power, and Jesus was somehow sustaining the universe through this sword in his hand. But, you know, I think it runs a lot deeper than that. You see... In his word, God says, my integrity rests in this. So if I am not what I claim to be in this, I have no integrity. You can test me on any of this and it will be true and never fail. So God has wedded his reputation to his word. And again and again throughout the word, the theme comes of the word of God. And the name of God as well. His name and his reputation. He stands by his word. There's nothing wrong with it. It's flawless and it's perfect. And it claims that for itself. But you see, because God is who he says he is, that's how he sustains the whole universe. If God claimed to be one thing and was another, the whole universe would collapse in on itself. It rests upon his integrity. It rests upon his complete ultimate power and authority if he wasn't omnipotent then he wouldn't be God and he couldn't uphold this universe but praise God he is so his claim to authority is not only as creator but as sustainer of this universe as well minute by minute by the integrity of his word that's why the integrity of the word of God is such a key issue in our day because if this isn't true then it all starts to unravel. And God isn't who he says he is. But what does he say? God is not a man that he should lie. We know that God is who he says he is. And ultimately, the authority of God rests upon that for you and I. But is this enough to actually claim ultimate authority? Just being creator, is that enough? That gives God authority in all matters over his creation. You might say, yes, it is. You might argue with that. Those of us that are parents, we we kind of created children, didn't we? We created this life that came from us, and it was completely dependent on us. We fed them, we clothed them, we looked after them, and we, for a time, are the ultimate authority into their life. I'm learning as the father of teenagers that that ultimate authority starts (laughs) to look a bit wobbly and gets questioned a lot. But in a certain sense, that's not a bad thing because I'm training my children to be independent. And I can't take them all the way through childhood to adulthood and then say, I'm going to dump you there, you get on with it. They've got to have a measure of autonomy and their own decision making to be able to be adults themselves. And I start to lose my authority over them. But God isn't like that with his creation. He didn't create everything to raise it up, to make it mature, to make it independent and say, there you go, off you go on your own. It's different. There's something in his creation that's different to how we create. There's something different about the creator that gives him authority that's ultimate in a way that we don't have over our children. There's something different about God's authority that's different to every lesser authority below him. And I think the crucial difference is to understand the difference between creator and creation in a single respect, that ultimately God is self-sufficient. God is the only thing and the only person who is self-sufficient. I want to read you a quote here from a theologian called James Packer. Anyone heard of J.I. Packer? A few people. If if you ever get hold of J.I. Packer's book, very good, really good, J.I. Packer. Jerry Packer said this, God is self-existent. God has always been. Our maker exists in an eternal, self-sustaining, necessary way. Necessary, that is, in the sense that God does not have it in him to go out of existence. God does not have it in him not to exist. Just as we do not have it in us to live forever. We necessarily age and die because it is in our present nature to do that. God necessarily continues forever unchanged because it is in his eternal nature to do that. He's different from us. The creator is different from his creation. God has no origin, no beginning, no source. Can you imagine something with no beginning? Just think about it for a minute. Think about everything you know. It has a beginning, doesn't it? We all have a beginning. We all began somewhere. It's very difficult to imagine something or someone that never began. Sometimes it's a bit easier to think about something that can go on and on forever, because we've all been in those situations where we think something's going to go on and on forever. But it's very difficult to conceive in your mind of someone that never began. Scientists have been grappling with this problem for decades, for hundreds of years, been trying to understand how did the universe begin. And a few hundred years ago, someone said, well, maybe it wasn't God. Maybe there was just some great cosmic explosion. And by accident, everything coalesced to what we see today. And then someone said, yeah, but what came before that? Well, maybe there was another one of those things. And, but what came before that then? And it goes on and on. And more theories come trying to explain. But what came before everything? And the answer is simple, God. He came before everything. And he's not dependent on anything. He's completely self-sustaining from within. Whereas everything in his creation is not made that way. It's not made to be autonomous. It's not made to be self-sustaining forever. It's made to be dependent on him. What we're doing is we're establishing God's credentials for who he is and his authority. And folks, what we need to be seeking from the Spirit is a right view of God and who He is. Because so often what we're hearing and what we're seeing are concepts and visions of God that are just not real. They're less than He truly is. But we need to see Him for who He really is. And by the Spirit of God, I believe we can do that. In Hebrews 11, verse 3, it says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command." There's God's authority. He, didn't, he wasn't like a, an artist in his workshop just forming something from clay. He commanded it to be. He commanded it to be. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. God made something out of nothing. Yes. There's two things in here in this scripture. I'll read it again. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. There's two things that we have to understand here and understand by faith. Number one, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. The amazing thing is not that God made something out of nothing, but that God is. That's the first thing. In the beginning, God. And the second thing is that God can make something out of nothing. That's impossible except for God. And we have to understand that's who God is. So how does this relate to authority? Yes, it establishes God's credentials as creator. It tells us something about his nature. But the important thing to understand is that God exists apart from his creation. If you were to conceive of the whole of creation, the best way to think about it, if I said to you, there's a flat piece of paper. Now you can see one end of that paper from the other end, can't you? Everybody see that? So imagine that's the whole of time. That's where time began, in the beginning. And one day, the word says that God will wrap all time up. God created time just so that things could happen in a certain order, so that everything didn't happen at once. So he could spread out history on a timeline. And you and I are somewhere on this timeline. But God is not on that timeline. He's outside of it. He's outside of all of creation, (laughs) And that means because God is outside of creation, he's not subject to its limits. If God was part of creation, he'd be subject to the laws of creation, to the limits and boundaries within creation. And if that were the case, God wouldn't be the ultimate authority, would he? He can only be the ultimate authority if he exists outside of creation. And he set all the rules within creation. And that's exactly what he's done. It also means that God is totally free to do whatever he wants. Did you know that? God is the only person who is totally free to do whatever he wants. The good news is, God is good. God is good. And God only acts in accordance with his nature. And it's in his nature to be good. Now you might ask yourself the question, why is God good? I'm just glad he is. I'm just glad he is. He just is. But the really important thing about God being outside of this creation that he's made is that everything in that creation exists in relationship with him. Everything relates to God in some way. The creation is not independent of the creator. There's a dependency which is inherent in the creation he made. Why? Because it came out of him. Because it came out of him. It cannot be separate from him because it came out of him. What it means is is that not only does creation exist in relationship to God, but creation is defined by God as well. So if you just turn with me to Genesis 1. And we can see here at the beginning in creation, God does something which has an impact on the world. And it speaks about his authority And it speaks to us today, even though this was a long time ago. Genesis chapter 1. And let's just go to verse... um, Let's go to verse 1. We can't not read verse 1 now, can we? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters... And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. What did God do? He created something, and then he made a judgment about it. He separated the light from the darkness. When you separate two things, you are making a judgment, a distinction between them. That's the only way you separate something, isn't it? God made a separation in what He created, and not only that, but he made a judgment about the thing He'd separated. When God said the light was good, what does good mean? What's good? That's the first time someone had ever said that something was good. So where do we get the standard for good? We get it from God, because God defines things by His own nature. If this thing I've made conforms to my purpose for it, what I've intended for it, what I've made it to be, it's good. If it doesn't conform to the intended purpose for this thing I've made, it's bad. So everything that God defines, he judges against his own character. And that's how judgment comes into the world. God is the only one who can do that. And that's why he's the ultimate source of authority. God made a relative judgment. You know what? All judgment is relative. It's relative to the authority of God. The crucial thing to understand, therefore, is that God is the standard for the whole universe. Everybody knows what a standard is, don't you? We have a standard unit of measurement. So this week we've been thinking about the um, temperature and watching the weather. What's the weather going to do today? Well, it's going to hit 25 today. Does that 25 degrees Alton? On my scale? No, on my scale, it's a thousand degrees Alton. That's just how my scale works. How meaningless it would be if I said to Richard, it's going to be a thousand degrees tomorrow. And Rich said, what? oh, a thousand is hot. How hot's that? Well, on my scale, that's only 500 actually. Richard would have no way of knowing what I actually meant, would have no way of judging the measure of something. So there has to be a universal standard of measurement. God is that universal standard of measurement for the whole universe. Everything is measured against him. It doesn't mean we're compared to him. Think of it that way. It's that God defines what's good, what's bad. God defines everything in the universe. And he's the only constant in the universe. Because everything else is changing. It's the one thing we learn about life, isn't it? It never stays the same. Everything is changing. But God never changes. And when the word talks about God being immutable, his unchangeability, the wonderful thing about that is it doesn't mean God's boring. It means you can depend that what God says is good today, he will say is good tomorrow. No matter what the circumstances, God will never change. But you and I will. We vary, we go up, we go down sometimes. But God stays the same, he's the one constant in the universe. So God's authority is on the basis of four things here. First of all, he has instituted all authority. He came before authority and before um, creation and was the source of creation. But thirdly, he's the sustainer of creation. So he's the current authority, if you like. But fourthly, he's the only constant in the universe. So therefore, he's the standard against which all judgment in the universe can be made. He's the measure of all things. And only things can be measured in reference to him. Now that brings us to Lucifer and his lie. Lucifer and his lie. Now David started to touch on this last week. I don't want to go over it again. I want to just make a few comments about it. We looked last week about how Satan came into the garden and he lied to Adam and Eve. He sold them a porky. In fact, Jesus said in John's Gospel that he is the father of lies, didn't he? Satan is the father of lies. Do you know the first person that Satan lied to was himself? We read the scripture last week, Isaiah 14, verse 12. I will make myself like the most high. Satan swallowed his own lie and ever since then has only been able to spew forth lies. And that's what he did in the garden. The lie that Satan told himself was that he could be like the creator. Now, we've just considered everything in creation and how God is outside of that, that everything is sustained by the creator, everything is defined by the creator, everything is measured in reference to him, and a tiny part of that creation said, I can be like him. It's ridiculous, isn't it? It's a ridiculous notion. But do you know what? It was like a cancer that spread It's a lie and a delusion. What Satan was saying was, not only can I be as powerful as God, but what he really wanted, he wanted to set his own boundaries. He wanted to set the standard. Why should God be the measure of everything? Why should God set the boundaries for my life? Why should God define what I do? Why can't I decide for myself? I think I know better than the creator. You can see the thought process he went through, can't you? He swallowed his own lie, that he could set his own boundaries. And what God had created him to do, he said, I don't want to do that anymore. I want your job. Well, not only was it a ridiculous notion, but the poison, if you like, was for him to start to believe that he could set his own boundaries. That he could be that unit of measurement. So when Satan now said something's good, it wasn't what God defined as good. It's what Satan defines as good. You see, the unit of measurement has changed. And the unit of measurement, if the devil uses his own unit of measurement, well, that changes all the time. God is the only one that never changes. And that's what the fatal part of his deception was like. The devil had seen, that's supposed to be a mirage, by the way, if you can see it on the screen, but the devil had seen a mirage. He thought he could have something that he thought was real, but it's not. There's nothing in all creation that can be completely self-determining. We can only be what God has created us to be because of all the things that we've said. And we'll only be at our happiest and most fulfilled when we are who God made us to be. And that's the thing that Satan threw away. You just turn with me to Ephesians 4 verse 25. Paul's talking to the Ephesians and um, he's talking about their lifestyle and, and talking about putting off the old, putting on the new. And he he makes a very curious statement. Verse 25, he says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood. Having put away falsehood. Now, I looked at this a while back. What it literally means is, having put off once and for all the lie. So some translations will say, having stopped lying or having put away lying and things like that but really it's having put off once and for all the lie. And what Paul was saying was, look, you've had your eyes opened. The delusion that you were born with, that you could determine your own boundaries, that you could have true freedom and independence, that delusion was shattered when you accepted Christ. Because God showed you that Christ was running through the fabric of the universe and that by the sin of your predecessors... That which had been passed down to you meant that you'd been alienated from the one on whom you were supposed to depend. And that's why life's all at sixes and sevens. But when you come to Christ, all of that's put right, isn't it? Can you remember that moment? And you think, everything is as it should be now. Now life makes sense. Because I've come back to the creator. I've come into the relationship that he made me for. I threw off the lie that was sold to my ancestors and it's gone cascading down through generation after generation after generation. And brothers and sisters, we've thrown off that lie. We are privileged to have done so. Because it's a powerful deception that is at work in the world. David alluded to the scripture in Ephesians 2 about, the, um, about Satan being the prince of the air at, and, and the spirit at work in the world. It's a spirit of deception to deceive men and women that they can be their own gods. In effect, in fact, in Romans one twenty-five it says this: Men exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. In other words, men threw off the idea of God is who He is, and you could look at that scripture and think, well, it just means that men started carving idols. But what was really going on was, instead of accepting God for being bigger than creation, men brought God into creation. Said, actually, I'm going to think of him as less than he is. As soon as you start imposing limits on God, and you think of him as less than he is, he's not God anymore. That's what idolatry is. To be worshipping something that ain't God. And that's what men did. They started worshipping something that wasn't God they swapped God with a capital G for God with a small g and the thing about God with a small g is they're very malleable you can do what you like with them you can swap them for other gods they're interchangeable in some religions there are 300 million of them take your pick you see it's not God and that's what men started to do and they swallowed the lie that they could set their own standard you know the wonderful thing is that David mentioned this last week. Even the Son of God doesn't set his own boundaries. He's God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He doesn't set his own boundaries. He's in eternal submission to the Father. You know, when we think about authority, this is where we have to blow out of the water our worldly concepts of hierarchical authority. Because it's a distorted, twisted version of, of the perfect authority within the Godhead. Jesus is eternally submitted to his Father. There's no inequality in that. There's no chip on his shoulder, eternal chip on the shoulder of the Son because he always has to do what his Father says. They're in perfect harmony with one another. And when God gave his authority to Jesus, Jesus is to bring all of his enemies under his feet, to bring the the universe back into submission and harmony with God. And at that point, Jesus will hand it all back over to the Father. We read that last week, 1 Corinthians 15. He's eternally submitted to the Father. Folks, that's the model of authority that we need to look at. And it's the model of submission. Because we can look at authority, but we can't ignore submission. They're part of the same thing. How we submit to one another. How husbands and wives relate to one another. How we submit to those in authority spiritually over us. They're all part of the same thing. And when it works, as God intends it to work, it works beautifully. It is a beautiful thing. So the third thing is this, the trunk of truth. Got my next slide up, please. There you go, there's the trunk of truth. It's a wee bit blurry, but that's a man with an axe chopping a tree. The issue of authority is key today in this country. Especially here in, in the UK, in Europe, in the US, in what we call developed economies. Some will call them post-Christian worlds, those that have been received the gospel, that have had laws that have been founded on biblical principles and have now gone through an enlightenment phase where actually men have said, do you know what, we think we're going to reject that. We've got our own ideas about how the world came to be and about how we should live our lives as well. The idea was to reject God as the ultimate authority And when you reject God as the ultimate authority and say, don't accept that he even exists, you've lost your standard unit of measure. You've lost that one standard against which everything in the universe is measured. So you've got to come up with your own standard. But we're in a transition phase right now, folks. We're transitioning from absolute biblical truth to relative truth. And relative truth is determined by a consensus. Relative truth is determined by what most people think is the truth. And we're we're somewhere between the two. So if we talked about an issue and we said, what do most people think about that? And then we had a a show of hands. Okay, well, most people think that that's right. So therefore, we're going to start enshrining into law that that's right. See, it just changes. In 50 years' time... When we have another show of hands from a different group of people, the opinion will have changed again, and will now change the law to fit the opinion of the masses. That's a different kind of authority, and it's a different kind of truth, and it's a, it's a democratization of truth. It's making truth something that we just vote on, and that's what's going on in this country. Do you know what, folks? It's nothing new. It's nothing new. Things just go in cycles. In Judges 17, verse 6, it says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the democratization of truth and authority. Now, do you notice it said, in those days, there was no king. What the problem was is that there was no single authority. The king was gone. The king had absolute authority. He was God's representation, wasn't he? When there's no king, the people just take a vote. And that's the tendency. But if all truth, if moral judgment and laws that have a moral impact are derived from biblical truth and from God, when you take God out, he's like the the root and the trunk of all of that. What you're doing is you're chopping down the tree. And that's what we've been doing in this country. We've been saying, well, you know. Let me just go back to Genesis. We looked last week, didn't we? In the garden, Satan came to Eve and started questioning the word. And Eve said what she thought God had said, which we all know was was wrong. But Satan said, did God really say that? Now, I think there are two ways to hear that question. The first one is this. Did God really say that? So, you know, like when, um, I remember when my kids were small, they would sometimes come up to me and say, mum said I can eat the whole of this bag of sweets. So, you know, it'd be all around their face. And mum said I can eat the whole bag. And I said, did mum really say that? But there's another way to hear the question. And I don't know what, I don't know the tone that Satan used, but there's another way to hear this question. Did God really say that? Did God really say that you couldn't touch that tree? Did God really say something that ridiculous? So you're not questioning whether God said something or what was said, but you're saying, yeah, God did say that, but that's just stupid, isn't it? It's very subtle. But that way of questioning, like the enemy says, runs all the way through. That lie is perpetuated all the way through history. Did God really say that marriage is just between a man and a woman? Did God really say that, children, you should obey your parents? Did God really say that you shouldn't practice having sex with someone before you think about marrying them? because you'd be stupid not to. You see, it's the enemy saying, did God really say that? I know God has said that in the Word, but did he really mean that? I mean, that's just daft, isn't it? And that's the voice that we're hearing in the world. It's what Satan is doing. That's his strategy right now. So you can flick on the telly any day of the week, and you can see programs where there are people being interviewed about issues of the day, And this phrase keeps recurring, which is, well, in our sort of enlightened society here in the West, we've come a long way. Right-thinking people wouldn't go along with that. And it all sounds really reasonable, doesn't it? All of it. If you sit there and just assess it intellectually, you think, yeah, that that makes good sense. That's quite a reasonable argument. Yeah. And that's what democratization of truth does. Did God really say that? I'm, not, I'm sure he didn't mean that. I mean, that just doesn't fit with the way we live life today. You know, we know better now, don't we? That sounds like something from the dark ages. So therefore, God didn't say that. That's what's going on. And every time that happens, people are trying to move the boundary stones. And their creator says, don't move the boundary stones. I did say it, you may not understand it, but I know what's best and that's why authority is a key issue in our day because as soon as you start chopping down the trunk those questions come thick and fast what about the rest of the moral judgement within our law let's start with that it's like a, a woolen cardigan where you've, you've pulled at the thread and, it, and you keep pulling and you keep pulling the whole thing will unravel why not? let's move the goalposts on everything And that's what's going on. So, the fourth thing I want to talk about is the standard of the saints. The standard of the saints. Just want to finish with this. Authority starts with God. We've said that for various reasons. It became distorted when Adam and Eve sinned, inevitably, it became distorted. But it was restored in the new creation. So when Jesus came to re- to start the process of restoration of all things to God he starts with us he shatters the illusion the delusion of self-determination and gives us a revelation of what it means to be dependent on him in a harmonious relationship in the way that he is with the father so that we can share what they have as we were created to do and that's the beginning of God putting everything right it's the beginning of God showing the world what real authority looks like because real authority needs to be evidenced in the church, his body. Mm. I was talking to someone recently about uh, revivals that have happened in the past and um, I was talking to my mother who uh, has read about a lot of revivals that have taken place in the last few hundred years and one of the things that she said really s- stuck with me and it was a, a Uh, An interview she'd seen with an old man who had been at the Hebridean revival. And he said, lots of people were getting saved in this revival. The Spirit of God was at work. But those that didn't get saved, for some reason, they weren't getting drunk every night anymore. And the interviewer said, What do you mean? You mean people that were coming into the meetings and getting saved? And he said, No. He said, all the people in the surrounding villages stopped doing what they were doing. And the interviewer said, well, why do you think that was? And he said, because the terror of God came upon the villages. That when the church was who she should be and full of the Spirit, that there was a holy fear that settled not only on the church, but all the people around. And in listening to that, I thought, that's what the Lord wants to do he wants there to be a holy fear that the world around will know that there is a singular authority and his name is Jesus so we should ask ourselves if the democratisation of truth is happening in our country so what? what difference does it really make to us? well I think we need to remember that we are called to live in this world but not be of it we're in this world And that means with both feet, in the world, but not of it. We are a witness for the authority of God, the true authority. But also, Scripture exhorts us not to be ignorant. Paul talks to the Thessalonians and say, don't be ignorant. Don't be caught unawares. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he said, don't be outwitted by the devil's schemes. In other words, understand the enemy's tactic. Understand what's going on around you. Be those who are wise with the wisdom of God because you have the light of God's word. And when you read this word, it should give you a wisdom to see around you whatever people are saying with this, what's coming out of this. Whatever people are saying from their mouths, it's an overflow of their heart. And armed with the wisdom of God and having been delivered from the delusion, the lie, having thrown it off once and for all, we should be able to see what's going on around us. But not only that, we need to have a right view of God. That's why this is important, the authority of God. If we don't have a right view of who God is, we haven't got a chance at understanding who we are. If the church has a wrong view of God, it'll never have a right view of itself because the church is sourced from him. We are his body. And that's why it's an issue in the church in this country. Because if parts of the church are saying God is this, God is happy with that, God has changed his rules and his standards on this, well, that's no longer God. They've taken the creator and they've brought him down into creation. They've exchanged the truth for a lie. And if that's the case, the church can never stand up and be who she is if she doesn't know who her creator is and doesn't know who her head is Jesus, the ultimate authority. The other thing, and a personal thing, is this. We have to have a right view of God and understand who he is and his authority and the fact that he doesn't change. Because everything in your life is going to change. It already has, and it will continue to change. And when the word of God tells you something about God, I guarantee that you will run into circumstances that will tell you the opposite. If you refuse to believe the circumstances but keep choosing to believe the the word, then the enemy's next tactic is to send a whispering voice. Did God really say that? Does God really love you? I mean, all these other people are fine, but you, after what you've done, Did God really love you the way he said he did? Did God really say he'd always be there for you in every circumstance? There are so many things that would challenge the word. But if we believe first and foremost that God is who he said he is, he never changes, that ultimately he is the authority into your life that when the hard times come, when the challenges come, he is your bedrock. If you have a view of God as less than he is, guess what? You're not standing on the bedrock. You're standing on the sand. You've built your house on the sand, which is a view of God which just is not him. And you will start to believe things that people tell you about him that make him less than he really is. So that's why it's important for us not just to hold the standard up to the world, but to cling to the standard. That God is the bedrock, whatever we go through, that we accept. He is who he says he is. His integrity is absolute. Absolute. And he knows what's best for me. He's my creator. He's my sustainer. Everything in my life is in relationship to him. If I believe that always, then that's the thing I'll cling to, no matter what life may throw at me. And praise God, his plan is to restore all things to himself and restore all authority as it should be. And the message of God is, it's time to get on board. And that's the message we have for the world. God is who he says he is. It's time to get on board with God's plan. Amen. 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 Father, I just want to thank you that you are who you say you are. Thank you, Father, that ultimately you are in control. Father, I thank you that nothing can sway you. There are no circumstances, Father, that will make you change in how you relate to us, how you feel about us, how faithful you'll be to us, Lord. But you are the authority into our lives and into this whole universe. And Father, we just look forward to the day when you will restore all things to yourself and we will be with you in eternity. And we just thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, folks. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We meet every Sunday at 10.30am in Stony Stanton and 4pm in Tamworth and Market Harborough. Feel free to come and visit us. We'd love to meet you.